0: Well, as you know, we've uh, begun a new series called "I love my Church," and beginning last week, if you've been following along at all with uh, last week's message, we started to talk about uh, some time that we spent reviewing some things and we celebrated some things that have happened in our church and over the last year, we were not only talking about our church, about some things that are exciting and happening and, 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 and review and upcoming. Uh, we're talking about the church in general, you know, and, and what is the church, if you remember. What, what's the purpose of the church and what is the mission of the church? And last week, we were reminded that the mission of the church is stated in Scripture in really a, a couple different ways, uh, but they're also related. In fact, we learned last week that it's the mission of the church uh, that it's also a mission of Jesus Christ Himself while He was here. Remember last week we said that Jesus Himself said uh, that His mission was to seek and save the lost. And that is also the mission of the church. But Jesus also gave us what we call the Great Commission. And after He's resurrected and prepared to go back to heaven, He, he left us with these disciples, the ones who had led the church and will lead the church in the, in the coming days after He, he ascends. He said to go and make disciples of all the nations. Remember that? Go and make disciples. So we had this sort of twofold mission of the church to create disciples or followers of Christ. These two phrases, of course, to seek and to save the lost and then create disciples, they kind of sum up what the mission of the church is for us. You know, that's our goal as a church. You know, and That's why we're here. That's why we exist as a church. And so next we ask the question... Uh, the next logical question really of ourselves, you know, if that's the mission of the church Then what are we going to do about that? You know as the church? How do we accomplish that mission, right? How do we how do we get that done? What does that look like and last week we talked that for us as General shepherd church of the nazarene According to how god leads us and guides us and directs us our vision to accomplish that mission is to become a deep and wide church you know, through, the, through our tenets of hope, H-O-P-E, hospitality, opportunity, purpose, and excellence, and everything that we do, we're going to run it through that filter. And our mission this year is kind of to become that deep and wide church. Not deep or wide, but remember we talked about deep and wide. That's to be a church that's passionate about growing deeper in our relationship with Christ. But also equally passionate about having a a wide reach into our community. A community that needs to see the light of Christ. Reaching out to people that don't know Him. People that that need to hear the gospel message. Sharing the love and hope that's found in Jesus Christ. And last week at the end of the message, I, I challenged you to adopt this approach to your life having a deep and wide life, not just as a church, but actually as individuals, to live out your faith in a deep and wide way. And so for this week, as we continue this discussion, as we continue to talk about what exactly that looks like and what that means for us to be a deep and wide people and a deep and wide church, it's apparent that if we're going to accomplish our mission here in this post-Christian world, remember last week we talked about this is a post-Christian, Christian world this post-christian culture And in order to to accomplish that mission in this post-christian culture That we're going to have to do church and be the church sometimes in a little bit different way than we ever have before Because the world is different. I believe than it has been before And sometimes that can be kind of tough You know if we're brutally honest with each other and before god, it can be a little tough for a church it can be difficult to to, to to kind of look outside the box and think outside of traditional ways of reaching out. Remember we talked about how in the, in the older days we would open the doors of the church and people would just come in. And now we have to sort of shift that focus and people aren't just coming in. That we need to actually reach out and what that looks like is a little bit different than what it has before. And the church, big church, not our church, but the church as a whole Sometimes the church doesn't have a real great track record of adjusting or making changes to engage the culture. But the good news for us this morning in this post-Christian culture in which we live today, is the good news is the situation that we find ourselves in is really not unique. It might be unique in the United States of America, or it might be a little bit unique for Hermitage, Pennsylvania, but it's not unique because if you look at the early New Testament church, the first century church, back in New Testament times, in the beginning of the, of the church, the culture was very, very similar. You see, back then they existed in what we call a pre-Christian culture, right? Pre-Christian culture. Today we're living in that post-Christian. Christian culture, and, and the dynamics of those two cultures are actually very similar. And so for the good, the good news for us this morning is that there's, there's some information, some knowledge for us to gain, some wisdom found in Scripture on how we interact with our culture. In fact, it'll be no surprise to you that the early church, they struggled with change as well. You know, we don't like change too much. But fortunately for us, they documented all of that in the early church in in a book we call Acts. So if you have your Bibles this morning, get get it ready in the book of Acts. And we can understand and hope to learn from how they decided way back then to engage the world around them. And we find this account in the book of Acts in chapter 15. And we find here that all the early disciples, or the apostles, the leaders of the church. In chapter 15, these apostles, they make some pretty bold statements for us today. Some pretty bold statements about, about the church and how to fulfill the mission of the church. How to engage the world in the culture around them. Just to give you a little bit of context. You know, the first rule of reading your Bible... The first rule of biblical exegesis. How about that word? Look at that. Tweet that. The first rule, the first three rules actually about getting what Scripture actually means out of Scripture. First three rules are context, context, and context. So to give you a little bit of context leading up to what we're going to read here, uh, just to let you know that in Acts chapter 15 and the time leading up to that, the church is really still pretty new. Like it's pretty shiny and new right now. It's really just kind of getting going and getting some momentum going in the early church. Jesus hasn't really been gone all that long. and, And the disciples and the apostles, they're figuring out how to do this thing called church. How to engage the culture around them. And during that time, the gospel started spreading like wildfire to many of the Jews. Jews that lived there in Jerusalem specifically and the surrounding areas. So it's no surprise to us that the Jews were the ones becoming Christians. They were becoming believers, those that decided that Jesus is the Messiah. They became Christians as well. And so the early church was made up of mostly entirely Jewish Christians. That's almost a tongue twister. People that had grown up with the Jewish traditions the Jewish laws, the Jewish lifestyle. But that didn't last because many of the apostles, many of the followers, they took the mission of the church very seriously. And they began to communicate it outside the walls of Jerusalem, outside of ancient Israel, outside of the nation. And they communicated that message. They shared that message, the good news, with the Gentiles. With the surrounding people. The people that weren't Jews. The, the people that aren't Jews are called? Gent- you're still awake. Good. You're still with me. The, the Gentiles, right? How many know that if you're not Jewish, you are a? Right. So that makes us the Gentiles, right? We're in that group. If you were not Jewish, you are a Gentile. So this message started going around to all these people. And the gospel began to spread. And they started believing And following Jesus, the Gentiles started believing and following Jesus. And all of a sudden, the church was faced with a little bit of tension. Or a lot of tension. The conflict between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians was growing because they didn't agree on everything. And all of a sudden, there's this tension because, you see, Jesus was Jewish. Right? And Mary... Was Jewish. He had a Jewish mother. And Jesus' adopted father. Joseph. Also a Jew. And so Jesus was raised in this Jewish culture. And the Jewish environment. With all the laws and the traditions. And the rituals that they all practiced back then. You see Jesus. He lived and taught. And in the Jewish context. And Jesus the Messiah. He actually fulfilled The Jewish beliefs, right? That's what the Messiah was. To fulfill their faith. And for those reasons, many of the Jewish Christians believed that first, you had to become Jewish before you could become a follower of Christ. You had to convert and become Jewish, and then that allowed you to take part in their Messiah's following, teaching. And so they created this interesting dynamic This tension in the early New Testament church. And what this meant for the Gentile Christians, the ones that didn't grow up with all these rules and laws and practices in Jewish culture, it meant for them that they had to memorize, beginning with this, they had to memorize over 600 and some odd laws and rules that they had back then in Jewish culture. Including a very particularly sensitive Jewish law or rule. Especially for the men. And here's where we pick things up in Acts chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. Remember, the book of Acts was written by who? Paul's mention of the book of Acts. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke wrote the book of Acts. A little Bible study for you this morning. So the same guy, Luke, that wrote the gospel of Luke, wrote the book of Acts. Luke records these events of the early church. He writes this in verse, verse 1 of chapter 15. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, and we're teaching the believers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So there there are these people traveling around, these Jewish Christians, traveling around throughout the countryside teaching this, that before you could be a follower of Christ, you had to become Jewish. You couldn't experience the saving grace of God. You couldn't experience his salvation unless you're circumcised just like the jews were in other words what they're saying is unless you choose to do the things we do unless you live life like we live it unless you you follow the rules that we follow unless you do these things first you cannot become a follower of christ now imagine for a moment what these services might have looked like this early church might have looked like chock full of women and kids right if they're teaching this stuff, and this is their meeting together, I know that the men are standing out in the parking lot saying, uh-huh, doesn't do anything for your men's, men's gatherings. You know, if I have to do that, if I have to have the sur- that surgery, uh, I don't think I want to go to that church. But that's the message they were sending. The message they were sending was exactly that. You must become like one of us first and then you can become one of us well that approach to faith didn't sit well with some of the apostles so they responded and we read in verse two it says that this brought uh, paul and barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them so paul and barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question and so the early church leaders they don't agree about what's being taught they don't agree on what's being taught here and so this this whole idea of becoming a jew before becoming a follower of christ this tension started to build and the church does what it does best when there's conflict right they call a church meeting they do isn't that what we do They have an old-fashioned church meeting, and so they they call for this meeting, and they gather all the leaders up together, and and they go to Jerusalem, which at that point was really the, the Christian capital of the world. Christianity launched out of Jerusalem, so many of the leaders were already there, and they decided to have this little meeting. A meeting to decide which direction the church was going to go. And they, they called together the disciples, the apostles. The apostles are those that were there with Jesus. They actually spent time with Him. They heard Him teach. They saw Him perform miracles. They'd seen Him after the resurrection. They all gathered together to decide the future of the church, decide what it's going to look like to carry out this mission of the church. We read in verse 4, When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported Everything God had done through them and that some of them, some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Hmm. So here's these guys, that's what they're teaching, right? They're Pharisees. These Pharisees that had become followers of Christ, they were the ones that were out there teaching this, that you have to be a Jew before you could become a Jesus follower. So they stood up here and they shared what they thought. They stood up and they said, this is the way that we think it should be. And then they, they believed that you have to act the way we act. You have to do what we do. You have to look what we look like, right? Because that, that was a physical attribute as well. We're the chosen people, they would say. They would say, we're we're the ones, we're the Jews. You've got to do what we're doing. Act like we act. Follow the rules. And if you do that, then you can become like us. You can become one of us. Well, after they share that, there's some discussion, and then it's the apostles' turn. And we find that Peter, he's the one that speaks first in verse 7. And if we go on to verse 7, it says this, after much discussion, Peter got up. Peter got up and addressed them. Here's what he said. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, verse 8, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. So what Peter is saying is that God, he's accepted the Gentiles, He's already accepted them, not because they follow certain rules, not because they do certain things, not because they look a certain way. No, he accepted them because of their faith. And what's the proof of this? Verse 8, part B. God gave them the Holy Spirit. He gave the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. So that's the proof, that God accepted them is by giving them the Holy Spirit. You see, what Peter is saying here, and what you guys are talking about here, the tension that's going on, this whole circumcision thing, these laws and these rules of the past, that's what we call the old covenant, right? That's the old way that God set up for you to interact with Him. Jesus started something new called the New Covenant. And it's a way for us to be in relationship with God post-Christ, post-Jesus, It's not based on laws. It's not based on rules. In other words, what he's saying is we are now people of the Holy Spirit, not people of the law. But it's important for us to understand that this would have been very, very, very difficult for these Jewish Christians to accept. Because generation after generation, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, they were the gatekeepers of the faith. They had been the gatekeepers. They're the ones that showed the rest of the world what it's like to be in relationship with God. So it's difficult for them. But Peter reminds him, don't forget about the mission of the church that Jesus Christ himself gave us. Don't forget that this good news, the gospel, it's for everyone. It's for the Gentiles as well. Don't forget that this whole thing we're starting called the church, Peter would say, the church is for everyone. Verse 9. Is it okay to read a little scripture here in church this morning? Verse 9. He, talking talking about God, he says... He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Not by rituals, not by laws, not by doing the right things. No, by faith. Verse 10, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? In other words, Peter here, remember a fellow Jew? Peter here is saying, come on guys, come on. You know those 600 plus laws and rules that we have? And that we're expected to follow. And if we're honest with each other, we're not even that good at following them. We're not even that good at obeying them. That's why we have this whole sacrificial system for those times when we mess up. For those times that we don't follow the rules. We have these sacrifices so that we can be right with God again. And you see the Jewish people, they were raised at an early age knowing all of these things knowing these laws, knowing these rules. They were taught these customs and this way of life. But the Gentiles had no idea about any of this. And I started to think about this, this part. When, when 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 we're talking about Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles, fast forward into today, we can talk about people who were raised in the church. You know I love that phrase. You know that's one of my favorite phrases. I was raised in the church. I don't know if you want to, but How many would say, admit this morning to me, don't worry about anybody else. How many would admit that I was raised in the church? How many would say, well, that's me. I was raised in the church. I always went to church. I was drugged to church. Yeah, I was raised in the church. How many were not? How many would say, you know what? I was not raised in the church. I had no church upbringing. I really didn't go to church. I had no, no previous knowledge. How many would say that I was not raised in church? Not, not, not. Yeah, there's some. Never really went to church. So I thought about that. And I thought about the Jews that had all this background, right? They had all this, this is the way you're supposed to be. This is what you're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to act. And before you can come to Christ, does this sound like a familiar message to those that were raised in the church? Before you can do this stuff, you have to go through A to B to C to D. Oh, no, no, no. Just, but you gotta, you got to hear a message. you got to get up. You've got to come here. You've got to cry. That's a big one. You have to cry. I mean, like, ugly cry. And then after you do that you can stand up and then you're changed and then you could be one of us that's the message that we send to a lot of people and what i'm saying is the culture in today's society we can't if we're going to reach today's society we can't be using yesterday's practices to reach today's society the message doesn't change a bit our methods must change churches today aren't you can't open the doors and they just walk in we have to find a way to communicate the gospel to this world in their context. And so Peter's point is saying, why would we put all of this on them? Why in the world would we unnecessarily burden these people that are coming to faith with all these extra rules and conditions? You know, come on, we're Jewish people and we can't even follow these rules. And some would say that, that, the, that the Jews had all these rules that they couldn't follow, that they were hypocrites and some would look at the church today and say you know what yeah I was raised in that church I was a part of that my parents drugged me to that and then we got home and I saw how they really were I don't want any parts of that and so Peter says, no, no, we, believe, we don't believe that it's through these laws, through these traditions. We believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. Say, they say, no, we shouldn't make them follow all these traditions that are ours, especially because follow the, following these rules isn't how you become a Christian in the first place. That's not what it's about. And you can probably imagine at this point that the room's getting a little quiet when Peter stands up. That the the Christians don't quite know how to respond. And the text tells us that Paul and Barnabas, they get up and share with the group all the amazing things that God has done in and through the Gentile Christians. But there's one person who hasn't spoken yet. One person that has been silent. One person that was sitting back listening to all this testimony. There was one person listening to all these stories who hasn't said a word. And this one person was the leader of the early church. One whose opinion would carry almost the most weight. The one who would ultimately resolve this tension. He resolved this conflict in the early church. The one who had ultimately defined for them and for the church and all throughout history and for us this very, very important dynamic of the church. And it was a guy by the name of James. James was the brother of Jesus. If you can imagine. James is the one who had been there and seen Jesus grow up. James was there. And he had his brother, right? Jesus. And I'm sure that he had been subjected to some of his torture, you know, the older brother, right? The one who had known Jesus, and perhaps because of that relationship, perhaps in a way that no one else ever did. James, the same one who didn't come to believe that his brother was the Messiah until after the resurrection. James, it took some convincing. I mean put yourself in James' shoes for just a moment. Would it be what would it take for you to believe your sibling was the Messiah, was sent from God, was the savior of the world? Might might take some convincing. It would take some pretty compelling evidence for you to get to that point. And so James when he had seen his brother crucified on the cross, James he see he saw Jesus dead buried and alive a few days later it kind of convinced him at that point that's proof you can't argue with and and so it's during this time and at this meeting that james he decides to speak up and when he speaks the entire room is on the edge of their seat waiting to hear what he says waiting to hear what he's decided because he was so respected by this group of jewish christians and gentile christians and what what's he got to say what is james going to say and, and a lot of things that James is ready to, ready to give them, it's so important if the church is going to fulfill its mission. It's so important for us if we're going to become a church that's both deep and wide. Here's what James says, beginning in verse 13. When they finished, James spoke up. And here's what James says. He says, brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon, who is Peter, has described to us how God first intervened to a chosen people, to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. Then James, he goes on to quote one of the Jews' own prophets, Amos, and he goes on to quote this prophecy from the Old Testament, and it says that the rest of mankind, the words of the prophets are in agreement, he says, the rest of mankind will seek and find God. Right here. The rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. And in verse 17, he sums it all up and says, look, all of mankind, that includes the Gentiles. You see, not just the Jewish people, all will seek and find the Lord, including the Gentiles. The Jews, their own prophet, predicted that this was going to happen. What was happening right now was happening in their world. And then James got to his point, and he makes his decision, not just for him, but for the entire church and for all time in verse 19. This is my judgment. It is my judgment, therefore, this is James' decision, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult for those who are searching for God. We should not make it difficult for those that are turning to, that are seeking God. Folks, don't put the unnecessary rules and, and regulations on, on these people, James was saying. And that's what he's saying throughout church and through, throughout history and throughout even, even to us. Don't put that weight on people. And that's the question right here at GSN it was the question for them and it's a question for us okay well how do we do that how do we do that how do we how do we how do we see that become a reality how do we take James's instructions here and ha- that have to be reality in our church what does that mean for us well I believe that means for us that that anything that's a part of our church that's a stumbling block anything that we would have as a stumbling block that would be in people's way that you know, that are turning to God, that are trying to seek him and follow him, anything that is in their way that's viewed as a stumbling block, we should remove it. You see, I believe that as a church, we should be in the business of making it as easy as possible for those that are seeking him, for those that are turning to God. It's a big decision. It's the biggest decision people will ever make, especially in our world today. It's huge. And it's enough for people to try and struggle with this whole idea of being a sinner in need of forgiveness, right? you got to start there. And then accepting Christ, that, that Christ that he died on the cross for their sin. And not only that, but they've been invited through Christ's death and resurrection to become a child of God. You know, that's some mind-blowing stuff there for people who don't know him. That's a, that's a struggle for people to come to grips with, that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. And so if there's some barrier to someone becoming a follower of Christ, let that barrier be the cross. Not anything that we're doing. do not, not let's make it hard on, on them. Let's not make it hard for people to find the love of God here in this place as a church. Let the barrier be the cross. Let them come to the cross and say, that's, that's where I'm having the hard time. Not here with the programs or people in the church. Let that be the only thing that stands in their way of accepting Him. If we're going to be a church that effectively ministers to this post-Christian world and our post-Christian culture. A church that's faithful to its mission to seek and save the lost and to create disciples of Jesus Christ. If we're going to be a church that's both deep and wide, then we've got to make every effort to remove any and all obstacles getting in the way of people finding Christ. We shouldn't make it difficult, as James said, for those turning to God. See, understanding and applying this direction, this guidance from James is crucial, especially for this aspect of the deep and wide vision that we we share here. We're going to talk more about the wide aspect in the next couple of weeks. But James, he's not finished here. He, he's got a little bit more good advice and information for us here. See, James would, would go on to give the Gentile believers some direction, right? He's already kind of shared what the Jewish people need to do and, and the Jewish Christians need to make happen. He says, let's not make it difficult for the Gentiles. But he also doesn't let the Gentiles off the hook. You know, even though they're free to live without the Jewish laws and customs, they should be careful not to offend those that follow those traditions and laws. Be careful not to offend their brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, James, James tells them that if, you're, you know, if this whole church thing is going to work, you're going to make it work with all of our different backgrounds and histories and personalities. That's why I said, hey, who, who's been in the church who never was in church? We've got to work together to be unified if the church is going to become effective in a post-christian world in our context We have to do it together And just because a certain people or a certain person brings this history with them and says this is the way we used to do it Don't automatically say well, we (laughs) that's old-fashioned. We can't do it that way. Some of those ways are still effective So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater they say, right? James was saying hey be respectful of those that do come from this Jewish heritage, that come from with all these laws and all these things in place, these rules. Because we have to be together. We cannot be divided to fulfill the mission and vision that God gives us. If we're going to be a church that helps each other grow deeper in Christ and helps others move toward Christ, we have to be unified because, folks, it takes all of us. It takes all of us. And each and every one of you is critical to this becoming a reality. Each and every one of you is important. Without you, this church isn't the same. Without you, this church is not as effective. Without you, there's something missing from the body of Christ. Read about that in, in Corinthians, First Corinthians, when Paul talks about the body of Christ. We've got to do it together. And the, the things that we've talked about this morning... And as we wind this up this morning, it's more than just a nice message. For me, it's it's a personal thing. And it might be personal for you as well. Because for all these years in church, and some of you who have were in that first group that raised their hand and say, yeah, I was raised in the church. There are far too many unnecessary barriers that get in the way. And this message is actually born from Years and years and years of seeing men and women, families, exit the doors of the church never to return again. This message is born out of years seeing those that so desperately need the love and grace of Christ not be able to find it in the only place that they ever will, the church. Many of you have a similar story. You find people that that have gotten in the way, a relative, a co-worker, Someone you know that's walked away from church. And folks, when they walk away from church, a lot of times they eventually walk away from their faith. And this is so, so, so important. But the good news is that there is hope. The good news is there is hope in Jesus Christ. So let's be a church where people can find that hope. Let's be a church that removes barriers and obstacles or distractions so that when you invite them in and when they come, they're not going to be distracted by all this other stuff. They can place their full attention on what we really want them to hear, which is the good news of the gospel. So they won't be distracted, so they can hear about hope. They can accept that into their lives. So let's be a church that's on mission. A church that's both deep and wide, giving people opportunities to gather together, to hear the gospel, to to see our lives demonstrating the gospel. Not barriers, not quarreling, not disputes, not, not tension like the early church was having back then. All this tension. People will come in, sense that tension, they're right back out the door. Sit for a little while, people will know the tension. And so as I was preparing this message, and, and, and I kept having this song come to mind. And this song, it, it, if I could have you guys come up, Jim and Brayden. We're going to close with this song. It's called Come As You Are. I was preparing this, and, and maybe it was subliminally in my mind anyway, but then I saw Crowder perform this on Friday night. Let's be a come-as-you-are church. Let's be a church where people can come just as they are, full of sin, full of guilt, full of whatever it is. Come-as-you-are. Let's be a come-as-you-are church. A deep and wide church. And I know it's a bold vision to be deep and wide like that, but it's not one that's necessarily easy. But honestly, if it's easy, I'm not sure that it always is coming from God if it's easy for us. I heard someone say one time, nothing worth doing is easy. And if it was easy, the the more difficult something is to get done and accomplish. On the other side of it, you grow. It's going to require some sacrifice, this deep and wide vision. It's going to require sometimes some money. It's going to require commitment, require our time. It's bold to be deep and wide, but isn't it worth it? Isn't it worth it? Isn't it worth it to be a witness to what the Lord is going to do in our midst? Isn't it worth it? Isn't it worth it to see our kids grow up for a love, with a love for God and and love for the church that the next generation can see and be a part of? Isn't it worth it? Isn't it worth it? if that's what it takes to minister in our post-Christian community right here in Hermitage, isn't it worth it? Is the sacrifice worth it? I believe it is. And I hope you do too. And I hope you'll decide to join us in this journey, in this adventure of becoming a deep and wide church. Would you stand as we close with this song? I put the words up last minute. I hope I got them right. Let us be a come-as-you-are church. Not all these rules and regulations and you got to be this way and think like us and act like us and look like us and smell like us and be like us and then we can accept you in. Let us be deep and wide in a come-as-you-are church. If you know the words, you can sing along.
1: Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come brokenhearted, let a rescue begin. Come find your mercy, oh sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow heaven can't heal earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal
2: so lay down your burdens lay down your shame all who are broken
1: There's hope for the hopeless For all those who stray Come sit at the table Come taste the grace There's rest for the weary Rest at indoors Earth has no sorrow That heaven can't cure So lay down your
2: birth your shame all who are broken lift up your face oh wanderer come oh, you're not too far so lay down your hurt lay down your heart come as i <laughs>
0: Father, as we bow our our heads collectively in your presence, Father, help us to realize that earth has no sorrow, that heaven can't heal. Father, I wonder in a gathering such as this, if there are those who have come from traditions in the church, those that have been around church for a long time, around the things of God, for a long, long time. I don't care if it's five years, 20 years, or 60 years. But they've never fully put their trust and faith in you. Father, if there is that person here this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around, I give you an opportunity this morning. Maybe this is your morning. Maybe you've been coming around and you've heard invitations given and never really surrendered your heart fully to God. I want to pray for you this morning if that's you just do me a favor real quick i'm not going to wait long just slip up your hand and say pastor that's me i've been around church i've known about god i've known about jesus and been around it for a long long time and i've never really fully trusted so this morning i'm making that decision pastor i want you to pray for me just slip your hand up and just put it back down i'll I'll notify it and i'll i'll recognize it you just say pastor that's me God, with humble hearts. Wherever we've been, whatever we've done, Lord, we recognize that your grace and forgiveness is there and available for all. Whether we have deep, deep church roots or whether we're new, Father, whatever the situation, I pray that, Lord, everyone in this room would have solved the The relationship between, the broken relationship between you and your people would solve that before they leave this place. Those listening online, Lord, if you would speak to their hearts, Father, they would respond to your calling. Nothing I've said, nothing I've done. Nothing we've done up here this morning, God, but it's your Holy Spirit that moves in and out of these roads. It's your Holy Spirit that speaks to hearts of church people and non-church people. As we've seen in your word, you reach all people. So, Father, answer our prayer this morning, we pray, that we might respond, Lord, and we can lay down our burdens and lay down our shame.
2: So lay down your burden.
0: us as we leave this place may we not depart your presence in jesus powerful name amen and amen god bless you